Let us pray. God, you are our healer, our comforter, our Lord, our Savior, our ever-present help in time of need. Lord, we thank you for joy. We thank you for laughter. We thank you, God, for tears and sorrows and celebrations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This week I was uh, talking with Sean Shannon uh, about, uh, I think, sermon prep, but I don't really uh, remember exactly what our conversation was and wasn't, wasn't planning on on starting this way, but uh, I mentioned to Sean something she said reminded me of uh, a quote from, I believe it was uh, Lou Gehrig, but again, I wasn't planning on starting with this quote, so I might be, uh, might be wrong, but he said, uh, if you have laughed and thought and cried, then it has been a good day. Uh, People ask me, oh, like, are you nervous about the sermon? Are you ready to, are you ready for it? Like, you seem nervous. I'm a little red from, from being sunburnt. But to be honest with you, I was, I was a little scared about all the logistics of, of the goats coming in. And when I saw them, uh, I was laughing. Uh, Dwayne hasn't texted me yet, so either he's not watching from, from Waco or, or he was okay with it, uh, but might get a text. Uh, later, because that, that was mostly a, a surprise. Uh, I think like five people knew. Uh, but then the last song that we, we sang, uh, There's Healing in Your Hands. Uh, Sky led us in worship with that song about a year and a half ago when my mom was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. Sky didn't know it. It's just appeared on the, the worship set, and I remember not being able uh, to sing it, because I didn't feel like there was healing in, in God's hands in that moment. And then it never appeared on a worship set again until six or eight months, I don't know the exact date after that, when my mom was officially in remission. Uh, and just remember the song coming back, I was like, I can sing it now. Uh, and then for it to come again, uh, it's a beautiful picture. And so I have laughed, I have thought, and I have cried. And maybe I'm a little unprepared now. Uh, but I'm used to that. My first full-time ministry job was at a, a church outside of Waco. And I got there, we didn't have a a senior pastor, and we decided to do something really crazy, kind of the opposite of what we've done here. We had one service, and we split into two. Uh, and we didn't have a preacher. We had a, an interim preacher and didn't think it would be fair to ask him to, to preach twice, so we live-streamed his sermon from one service into another service. And in the other service, probably 70% of the time, I was the only staff person in that room. And so that meant when the Wi-Fi didn't work and the streaming service cut out that I was on call. And I remember the first time this happened, it wasn't 
before the service started. It wasn't even during the singing, but it was about five minutes into the sermon, and the video feed cuts out. I'm in the sound booth. They're all looking at me like, you're up. I'm like, I didn't even know what he was preaching on this morning, but he's already read it, so I guess I have to go with it. And he was preaching from the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I'm, I'm still not, not ready to preach from Habakkuk right now, if I'm just being, being honest. Uh, I have to think tri- twice just about even saying it, and I might be, be wrong on the, the name. But I remember as I was preaching and just winging it through the congregation... I saw a verse underlined, and I was like, oh, good, like, we're going to go there. And so I told, the, I told the whole church that, like, okay, we're moving on to chapter whatever. And after I spoke those words, I thought, I've had this Bible a long time. I have no clue what verse is underlined over there. Uh, in fact, like, when I was in middle school, like, me and my friends, we would try to find just really weird, odd, like, silly verses and so I was like, oh, God, let this be a serious verse that spoke to me, and that's why I underlined it, and not a verse that I found hilarious in sixth grade. <laughs> Don't remember the verse, but it turned out well. Ah. Our text for this morning, though, is one of the silly verses I memorized in middle school, Job 39.1. Do you know... When the mountain goats give birth. My friends and I, we thought, this is so weird. Why is this in the Bible? What does this have to teach us? Uh, but it was funny, so we, we memorized it that way in Sunday school class when one of our youth leaders would ask us about memorizing scripture. We were like, oh yeah, I have verses memorized. And they'd like, like what? Well, Job 39.1. Like, don't you know that verse? No, why don't, why don't you share it with the class? Uh, well, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? And they would be speechless. They didn't know, know what to say. No, they didn't know when the mountain goat gave birth. And they didn't know why we were quoting that in middle school, in high school, or sometimes uh, as we were in our youth group, if there was a question about some theological topic and it was going down the rail, someone would just shout out, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? It meant nothing to us besides, besides just laughter. Well, last week when Nick was sharing his, his testimony with us, he, he said there was a moment in his life when he realized that the verses in the Bible, they weren't just random rules or commands, but they all pointed us back to Jesus. So what does Job 39.1 have to do with Jesus? Well, I would contend to absolutely everything. So if you will, we're going to stand, and we're going to read Job 39, verse 1 through 8, and learn about the God of baby goats. Job 39, beginning in verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time when they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young strive and grow strong in the wilds. 
They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the, sea, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for anything green. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So picture the scene. We have Job bringing God before trial in the heavenly courts. Job has lost everything in his life. His family, wife, kids, his property, his wealth, his reputation, everything is gone. And the only thing that Job has received from his friends is bad advice and answers far too shallow for comfort. So Job, he's weary of being the one on trial, so he files a countersuit of God. He says, God, I know that I'm innocent. But what about you? Why are all these things happening to me? Job's looking for answers to his suffering, to his mishaps, to all the bad things that are happening to him. And we get a glimpse of God's response. It's probably not what Job was expecting to hear. Instead, of an answer to solve his problems or an explanation to explain away the bad things. God comforts Job in the mystery. Safe to say that Job wasn't expecting God's defense to be about baby goats or pregnant animals and wild donkeys. Like, is God naive? Is he insensitive or incapable of showing empathy to Job? Is he far, is he too far removed from reality? What's going on here? Because on the surface, God's response seems to be of little to no help. Yet somehow Job finds comfort. Comfort not in answers but in the mystery of God. So what did Job learn from God's response? Well, first he learns that God is big. Like, God's really big. And Job knew that. You knew that walking in today. But Job thought he completely understood God. He thought he had everything figured out. So he was in a dangerous place thinking that his knowledge was all the knowledge that there was. So when life didn't fit his formulas, he comes to God and he says, God, I don't, I don't understand this. Lord, help me to understand this. And God responds with a mocking laugh. In chapter 38, verse 1, he says, No, Job, there's so much more that you don't understand. 
In fact, when you speak of me and you speak of my plans, you obscure them because your words are without knowledge. Then instead of helping Job to understand, God proceeds to show Job that he will never understand him. He says, Job, where were you when I poured the foundations of the earth? Did you help me measure and cut as I crafted the heavens? Did you help me hang the stars, Job? Can you command the clouds to bring rain? Do you tell the seas where to stop? Job, tell me about this mountain goat. Do you know when it was born? Because I do. Job, look at that bird. Job, do you, do you know how things fly? God overwhelms Job with creation, and he shatters the box that Job tried to place God in. Because God isn't just big. Like, God's bigger than big. I fear that sometimes we think God is kind of like a human being like us, but he's just a little bit better. Like, we all know our teacher who's really wise, and we think, okay, God's wise like my teacher, but he's a little bit wiser. No, God's wisdom is something uniquely different. Our God's like my father who is strong and powerful, but he's a little bit stronger and a little bit more powerful. No, God's power is completely and uniquely different. God isn't a human that's a little bit different. God is holy, unique. He transcends all our understanding. And the more we search him, the more we realize that we know so little. And what we don't know, we don't even know. When's the last time you've been in awe of God? Or do you live your life just unimpressed by him? If so, it's because you're not paying attention. Take time this week, look around, take note of his creation, open up your word and read his story. You'll be amazed. Or look to yourself and see your own sin that you are struggling and be amazed that God forgives that, that he loves you. Or maybe you need to take a step outside your comfort zone to be amazed by God. Here's this test to see if your view of God is too small. What are you doing with your life that goes beyond your own limits? Because if every work and thing in your life can be explained by your own personal talents, skills, giftings, then that's you doing that. That's not God. Because asking you, take that step of faith, leave your comfort zone, rely on the power of him through you. God wants you to take that, that big step. Imagine what the world must think as they, they see us claiming to know the God who created everything. 
And to think that we have all the power that, that created the stars, that created our complicated bodies, that the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us. And we live normal, mundane lives, neglecting the power that's at our hands. I remember one Christmas, I, I got an airsoft gun from my parents, and my brothers and I, we went outside, and we had set up some old coffee cans, and we were uh, doing target practice, and I missed time and time and time again. And my older brothers, they were, they were mocking me uh, and showing off, and I, I was really upset because this was my gift, and they were so much better at it than me. Uh, and my brother Brad, he was an instigator. He loved to, to stir the pot. And so he said, I'm so confident that your aim is so bad that I'm going to get on a bike, I'm going to ride up and down the street, and you try to shoot me because I know you can't do it. And so he gets on his bike, and I have my airsoft gun. He drives past our house. I fire a shot. I miss. He drives by again. I fire a shot doesn't say anything, so I shoot again and again and again, thinking, wow, I really do have bad aim. Then Brad screams, stop shooting me. <laughs> and he throws down his bike, and he began to, to run after me. And instinct kicks in. I take off running. He's going to catch me. My dad was outside watching. Uh, and he kind of just says, you have a gun. <laughs> And I think, oh yeah, like I'm holding, I'm holding my airsoft gun, so I turn around and Brad's charging me and I shoot and I shoot and I shoot until he slows down. <laughs> but here I was with like means to defend myself, I had power in my hand, but when Brad came at me, I completely forgot about the power that was available to me. It's funny, but some of us are living life like that. You have all the power of God, and you're running from the enemy. Maybe your struggle's not with fear or comfort, but maybe your struggle's with control. You think, God, I, I know better than you, and no, you would never never say that out loud, and you'd probably even prevent yourself from, from thinking that. But if you look at your actions, it's a life of someone who thinks they know better than God. God, I know you've called me to do this, but my finances won't allow me to do that. God, I, I'll give you control, but... I'm keeping my kids for myself. Don't tell me what to do with them. God, you have control over my life, and I know you tell me to rest, but you don't know how busy my life is, God. Don't you know my world will come crashing down if I take a day off? Fear of giving control to God because we think we know better than him. I never really liked 
playing video games growing up. But one thing that I hated is whenever I would go over to a friend's house and they would try to teach me a new game, and I'd begin playing, and I would get to a part that was like really hard or something, and they would go, okay, let me take that back. And they would play and then hand me the controller, and then I would play a little bit more, and then it's like, okay, no, 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 no you don't know how to do that. Let me, let me show you how. That's some of our relationships with God of, God, it's Sunday. Here's the controller. But when things go bad on Monday, God, give, give that back to me. Let, me. let me show you how it's really done. Like we're sitting in the passenger seat of those old driver's ed cars, just giving the illusion of control to God while we have our safety in our own hands. Control. Because what Job had to learn about God is that he wasn't just big, but he was bigger than Job. Job realizes this. He says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I don't understand. It's a big step. The first step of faith of saying, God, I don't have this, but you do. Job's amazed by what God knows. But in Job 39, God isn't just spitting out random trivia facts. He's not showing off to Job. For me, whatever reason, like, these small trivial facts, they often stick with me, and sometimes I'll, I'll hear them, and I'll come home, and I'll, I'll share them with Abigail, and she pretends to be interested in it, but I can tell she's thinking, okay, Tyler, there's never an instance where I'll need to know that. But that's not what God's doing. He's not giving Job trivia. He's showing Job that he cares. Look at the verse. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch them? God doesn't just know it, but he, he's paying attention. Do you count the months until they bear? He's, he's, he's counting down the days. He's helping them raise their children. He is intimately involved in their life. God's teaching Job, Job, I care about the little things. And this is where Job finds comfort. Not in that God is so big that he transcends Job, but that God is so big that he can afford to care about the little things. And that brings awe to us whenever we see something so extraordinary that shows up in just the ordinary. And that's what Job experiences when he sees the God of the universe hanging out with baby goats. Two Sundays ago after church, Abigail and I, we went to, to lunch with the Contreras and we were at Cava and we were finishing up our meal and in walked Jose Altuve. And afterwards, Jonah said, I could tell something was, was up with you. You weren't paying attention. Uh, you had this sense of awe in you because here is o Jose Altuve in the restaurant with us. 
See, I forget that he has a life outside of baseball. I forget that when the post-game interview is over and I turn off my TV, that he still exists, because in my mind, he doesn't. The game's over, Jose Altuve's no longer in my life. It's like seeing your teacher outside of school, it's like, wait, you're here? <laughs> but do we forget that God exists outside of our Bibles? That God exists outside of these walls? we look for him, we'll see him in the small moments of life. We'll see him at lunch, in our conversations with our waiters and waitresses. We'll see him in traffic on the way to work. We'll see him with our friends and our family. We'll see him in, in silly moments and serious moments and times of joy and in times of mourning. God is there. And when we look for him and when we find him, we'll be amazed because God's really big. Think of the story of LaDamian Smith. His name will go unknown probably to you, but he lived through one of the most important moments in U.S. history. LaDamian Smith showed up to his class in second grade, and he said that he remembers the joy of the teacher telling him, today you're going to get to read to the President of the United States. And the President of the United States is going to get to read to you. And LaDamian thought, who gets to do that? Who gets to read to the President? I think we have a picture of a President Bush reading to to this class, but it amazed those students as they're reading, and the President of the United States is taking time to listen to them, to hear their stories, that here is someone who is so powerful, yet he's taking time to do the little things with a second-grade classroom. But that morning, in Ms. K. Daniel's classroom, the chief of staff came in and he whispered something in the president's ear. He said, Mr. President, the second tower has been hit and America is under attack. President Bush went right back to reading. For seven minutes, he sat and read stories to kids and listened to them recite stories to him. A bit of trivia for you. The story that President Bush was reading when he learned of 9-11, and I can't make this up, is called The Pet Goat. And here is the President of the United States on this fateful morning, spending time with children, because he understood that he wasn't just the president of the United States, but he was president of Emma E. Booker Elementary School, and he was president of that second grade classroom, and he was president of second grade LaDamian Smith. 
And there's critics that say, well, he wasted seven minutes where he could have been responding to this. But the kids in the class, years later, they reflect and they say, that meant so much to us that someone so big, so powerful would take the time to read to us. But praise be to God that we serve a God who doesn't have to decide where to be. God never has to pick between which child he goes and visits. God never has to check his calendar to see if he can make it to your appointment. God never has to check the bank statement to see if he can go to dinner with you. Because he's unlimited. He can be everywhere, anywhere, all of the time. See, we serve a God who with one hand can spin the, the world around and keep everything in motion, and with the other hand can write birth announcements for baby goats. Sometimes we build boxes and we try to keep God in, try to limit his size. But other times we build boxes around our lives and we try to keep God out, saying, God, this is too small for you. Don't waste your time with this. My Sunday school teacher who led me to, to faith, which I've told stories about him, Big John, in here before, I remember anytime someone brought a prayer request about a pet, he would immediately just shut it down. I was like, no, we're not going to pray for that. Because ah, he apparently didn't read, read Job to learn that, that God cares about the animals. But, but he treated God as some like, limited cosmic genie of, we're not going to waste a wish on that or God has better things to do than worry about our pet cat or our pet dog. What do you think is too small for God? I think Job 39 shows us that there's nothing too small for God. And there's comfort in that. But there's also a calling a calling to rely on God in every moment, not just in our big moments, but in the little moments, in the everyday exchanges that we have. Because maybe it's not something that you think is too small for God, but maybe it's someone who you think is too small for God. But God cares about everything, and the thing about the way that God cares is that after God cares for us, he still has an unlimited amount of care left. God shows this to, to Jonah whenever he goes and, and preaches to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, they, they repent. God shows them mercy and forgiveness. Jonah, he goes up on the hill and he's, he's throwing this, this fit and God's like, Jonah, what are you, you talking about? Like, do you not realize that I love all the people there. And besides the people, there's also like 10,000 herds of cattle down there too, Jonah. Like, I love them. See, because when God forgives you of your sin, he still has an unlimited amount of forgiveness left. When God cares for you, he still has all the care in the world left. When God loves you, 
His love still goes on and on and on. God cannot outspend his forgiveness. He cannot outspend his care. He has unlimited resources. And he wants you to spend them too. You know where to go, so go show other people the God that gives us comfort by being so big yet so small. Jesus picks up on God's love for animals in, in Matthew chapter 10 as he's telling his disciples uh, that he's about to send them out to, to proclaim the good news and that they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be without home. They're going to be without food, uh, without finance. But he tells them God will take care of them. Matthew 10, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You're worth more than sparrows. You're worth more than sparrows. You're worth more than baby goats. You're not too small for God. God doesn't want to just create you and leave you on your own. No, God wants to know you personally because he cares about you so much. And he's big enough to care about you. He's bigger than any problem that you have in life. He's bigger than any sin that you've committed. Yet small enough to pay attention to every single detail. Choice is yours. Will you take the step of faith? Be committed to the big things. Be committed to the little things. Trust God in all things. Because he loves you. He loves goats. He loves the person sitting next to you. He loves your neighbor. He loves everything in the world. And he wants them all under his care. Let's pray. God, you are creator and we are not. You are God and we are not. You know everything and we do not. Lord, you love us when we have been deemed unlovable. You care for us when we've been deemed untreatable. Protect us and every moment in any situation. There's nothing too big for you, but there's also nothing too small for you. Lord, today we surrender our control to you. We surrender comfort to you. We surrender all of the little knowledge and wisdom that we have to you. Say, God, take our lives and let them be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.